0: This Sunday, I have a prop that I did not think would make it up here on the stage, but it made it. Bam. That's my prop this morning. How many of you guys know what this is? Just say it. A can. Can. Our more, our more straightforward people, like my brother Justin said, it's a can. Can. Other people were like, it is Limoncello Flavor LaCroix. <laughs> Leon. I just found Limoncello Flavor last night, and um, it tastes just like all the rest. And so um, <laughs> this, uh, it, it, was, it was great. It's great cold, um, but it's a can. It's a can. Now, this little thing at the top, how many of us know what that thing is? It's a tab, right? You you use it to open it. What else are you supposed to use it for? To hold? Did you say it? To hold the straw. How long have you known this? A while. Okay, well, good on you. Because I just learned that this thing served another purpose. Apparently, after you open the tab, if you're not a barbarian, you turn the tab this way and you stick the straw through it in order to hold it as you drink to hold it in place so if you've had issues with your straw being held in place when you drink out a soda can it's because you're not not using it properly that's 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 what's happening and so um, essentially I learned in preparation for this sermon that I have been using this can all wrong I've been using the soda can wrong now the reason I bring this up is because as I studied this passage What I learned about this particular passage, this interaction that Jesus has with this group of people called the Sadducees, is that I've actually been using and applying this passage all wrong. Now, it's one thing to use a soda can wrong. It's another thing altogether to use the Bible or the word of God incorrectly. And so for that reason, I've entitled this sermon this morning, Get It Right get it right okay we want to get our application and understanding of the scripture right and so get it right now we're going to talk about specifically the resurrection that's going to be the big theological theme throughout this sermon and this passage but i want us to keep in mind a few things i want to clarify one when we talk about the resurrection the way that jesus uses the word OK, we're talking about eternal life or that day when followers of the Lord Jesus Christ raised back to life to live forever with him. OK, I'll also talk about the kingdom. I'll use the word the kingdom or the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven in the same way. And to be a part of the kingdom when you connect to the resurrection means to have eternal life. Um another thing you'll hear me say another phrase I'll say a good bit through here is I probably won't say it quite that much but I'll say it here and there is having an eternal perspective. And by this I mean the way that we think about things in the here and now and what they mean or what where they will be in the life to come in the next life, okay? so we're gonna we're gonna take a trip through a good bit of the bible we're gonna go from some old testament some new testament text we're gonna kind of flip back and forth but i want to say from the onset okay don't check out okay if you see me making a trail like a soda can and a tab and you're like hey how does it how does it make sense just know that i'm on my way to connecting the dots for you okay so don't 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 jump ship don't don't jump out in the middle of the road okay So the main idea I want us to walk away with from this particular text is this, is that the Bible is our guide to eternal life. Okay, the Bible is our guide to eternal life. And so we are going to come from Luke chapter 20, verses 27. Um, It says, uh, I think the thing says through 38, but we're actually going to go to verse 40. I'm going to read to verse 40. So you can turn your Bibles if you have them. Or you can just follow along up here. You'll miss two verses, but I think you'll be fine. So beginning in verse 27. Says some of the Sadducees who say there is no resurrection came to Jesus with a question. Teacher, they said. Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife, but no children, the man must marry the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Now, there were seven brothers. The first one married a woman and died childless. The second and then the third married her. And in the same way, the seven died, leaving no children. Finally, the woman died, too. Now, then, at the resurrection, whose wife will she be since the seven were married to her? Jesus replied, the people of this age marry and are given in marriage. But those who are considered worthy of taking part in the age to come and in the resurrection from the dead will neither marry nor be given in marriage, and they can no longer die, for they are like the angels. They are God's children, since they are children of the resurrection. But in the account of the burning bush, even Moses showed that the dead rise, for he calls the Lord the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living, for to him all are alive. Some of the teachers of the law responded, Well said, teacher. And no one dared to ask him any more questions. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me this morning. Father, you are kind, you are incredibly merciful. You are love, and you have been pleased to show us the immensity of your love in the person of your Son. And God, this day, we are thankful for it. Lord, through every word that is spoken, I pray that the person of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is kind, who is merciful, who is love and who is also indeed just, would come forth. And Lord, that you would soften and touch every mind and heart present to hear, to see you, and to receive what it is you're saying to us from your word. May we all this morning become as we are becoming the men, the women, and collectively the children of God that you are calling us to be. Indeed, may we all be found to be, Lord, children of the resurrection. We give you the glory and the honor because you are worthy, my God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And so, friends, um, the context of our passage is that um, a very common context, The religious leaders, the Jewish religious leaders, are upset with Jesus again. That's not surprising. They stay upset with him. But in this particular context, they've determined that they want to arrest him. They want to arrest him for a myriad of reasons, but largely because they're upset with him. And so they can't just arrest him right then and there when he's talking to them. We learn because Luke tells us they're cowards. They won't arrest him then and there because they're afraid of Jesus' followers, those who believe in him, and so they conspire against Jesus. They determine that what they're going to do is send in spies among the crowds that are listening to Jesus, and what these spies are supposed to do is they're supposed to come in They're supposed to seem like they're sincerely listening to Jesus, the teacher and the rabbi. And they're to ask questions with the purpose of tripping him up. Right. And why they want to trip Jesus up is so that they could catch him in a lie and so that they can get the other people, the people who believe in the people they're afraid of, they're afraid of. They can get them to stop believing in him, to turn against him, and then they can nab Jesus. So this is their goal. This is what they're trying to do. To do. And so when we get to our particular story in verse 27, the spy comes from a group of religious leaders called the Sadducees. Everybody say Sadducees. Now, the Sadducees were a group of religious leaders who did not believe in the resurrection from the dead right? And the Sadducees were actually the majority. They made up the majority of these major religious groups. Anybody know what the other religious group is that was made up with these guys? The Pharisees. The Pharisees. Now, the Pharisees, the other religious group who hated Jesus, they did believe in the resurrection. And so even they were often at odds with each other. Well, this spy um, of the Sadducees wanted to trip Jesus up, He comes to Jesus and he poses a question that I'm sure he thought Jesus would not be able to find his way out of. He posed a question that I'm sure he thought was the Trump card. No pun intended. Well, I wasn't talking about Trump anyway, so. But he he poses a question that I'm sure he believed that this is it. I got him. The Joker, right? You play spades and you get that big Joker. who plays spades. And you get the big joker. I thought I could play spades until I started playing with some children one time. They destroyed me, so <laughs> I can't. But this man assumes that with this question, he has the big joker. And he, and he 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 asked Jesus about this hypothetical woman. He says, Jesus, there's this woman Hypothetical It's not a real woman. He says there's this woman who married seven brothers who all died without having any children with her. Now, you may be wondering why in the world would a woman marry seven men, not just seven men, but seven brothers. What was And, and then it, why did they all die? What was she doing, right? <laughs> right. But what Luke's, what Luke's readers would have understood back then is that there was a Jewish law. And in this Jewish law, Ephesus, Jewish man husband died leaving his wife with no children then it was the law that that man's brother would marry her and the first child of their union would then be the inheritor of that dead brother's estate essentially that son would have his brother's name and then all the consecutive children would belong to the living brother but that's how it would happen And this law was actually a gracious thing. It served to protect women from being taken advantage of by a culture that didn't respect a single or widowed woman, nor her right to property. So so in this hypothetical story, this happened to a woman seven times, and then the woman finally dies. And so the question that this Sadducee spy poses is this. He says, whose wife will she be in the resurrection? Now, remember... The soda can. Remember, I said I'm going to connect the dots. Remember when I said that I have misused or misapplied this passage for such a long time. As I studied this passage, I realized that the spy had actually tricked me. The spy actually got me to do what he was hoping to get Jesus to do. And that's get caught up in what this spy is trying to talk, trying to say about marriage. For so long, I've used this passage to try and explain what marriage will be like in heaven. Right. Anybody else? Anybody else try to do that? Well, in studying the passage, I realized that that's not what it's about. Now, now, just to be clear for a second, Luke himself who wrote this, he's not super clear about what marriage will be like. In in heaven, but the gospel writer writer Matthew and Mark actually—they have—they both have accounts. They're both a lot clearer about what'll happen. And essentially, the fact is that what Jesus is saying is that people will not be married in heaven, right? That—that's—that—that's what it says. Okay, but that's not what the passage is about. That's not the purpose. That's not why they write this. Why they write this story about this exchange between Jesus and this sagacity even the lack of clarity between the accounts about what Jesus is saying about marriage it points to Jesus purpose here which is not to talk about marriage but about the fact that the resurrection is real and what's more That these Sadducees, who seem to be more concerned about marriage and the afterlife, that they will not be benefactors of this resurrection. That's the point. Look at what Jesus says in verses 34 through 36. He says, the people of this age, and what he means the here and now, the life we have in the here and now, the people of this age, they marry and are given in marriage. But those who are considered worthy of taking part in the age to come... And in the resurrection from the dead will neither marry nor be given in marriage, and they can no longer die, for they are like the angels. They are God's children, since they are children of the resurrection. In other words, if you read between the lines what Jesus is saying to these Sadducees who don't believe in the resurrection, he's saying, hey, y'all, keep worrying about marriage. Y'all keep worrying about trivial things like marriage and the place they have in the resurrection because the ones who are considered worthy of this resurrection that I'm talking about, this eternal life, that'll be the last thing on their minds. That'll be the last thing on their minds when they raise from the dead. But y'all keep on worrying about that because here's the truth. Y'all are not going to be there anyway. So y'all keep worrying about marriage and the things you see at the end of verse 36 where jesus equates being children of god with being children of the resurrection he was making it abundantly clear that these sadducees these religious leaders who considered themselves children of god were proving that they were not children of god by their denial of the resurrection that's why jesus says in no uncertain terms the children of god are the children of the resurrection Those who are indeed children of God are those who will indeed experience this resurrection unto eternal life. And friends, the lesson that we learn from the Sadducees' failure is this, that we must maintain an eternal focus with our worldly circumstances and possessions. We must maintain an eternal focus with our worldly circumstances and possessions. You see, the reason these Sadducees chose to use marriage and their argument against the resurrection is because in their mind, there was likely no higher institution, nothing with more regard than marriage. And so they assume that if we come to this good teacher, this good Jewish rabbi, this man who must understand better than anyone else how important marriage is, there's no way he'll say something as crazy as this woman will be married to seven men in the resurrection. And then we'll have them, right? you will have to deny the resurrection. It's just so interesting. Listen to this. These people watch Jesus touch people with no hands and hands grow. Watch Jesus tell dead people get up and they get up and they think they could trip them up with questions. What's wrong with folks? It's kind of like me. I, I, I love the NBA. I watch and every time I watch it, I look at LeBron James and think I could do that too. I can barely stand up here for 30 minutes and preach with these <laughs> knees. But here, here are these people. Think of the pride of these people to assume that they could trick Jesus. And they are, sure, they are certain. They're like, man, he going to start wrestling with the complexities of this. And we got him. But what Jesus' response reveals to them was that even marriage... Even something held in as high regard as marriage. And don't get it twisted. Jesus definitely regarded marriage highly. That's not what we're saying here. He did. But even something as highly regarded as marriage does not fit into the calculation of the greatness of the eternal blessings that await the true children of God. doesn't even factor in. In essence, Jesus is saying what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 2, nine, What no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things that God has prepared for those who love him. Hear me, friends. The call for us as followers of Jesus is to consider everything that we have and everything that we do not have, everything that we are and everything that we are not, every met desire and every longing, every relationship and all loneliness in light of the things that God has in store for us at the resurrection. So if you're married, what does that mean in light of your resurrection? If you're single, what does that mean in light of your resurrection? If you have children, what does that mean? If you don't, what does that mean? What does what you have, what you do, what will it account for in eternity? Here's the question I want us to ask ourselves. What needs to change about how we think about our lives in light of eternity now keep in mind the way that you engage with all of these things in the here and now has consequences that reverberate into eternity okay it does we'll talk a little bit more about that because jesus didn't say that marriage does not matter right far from it you see marriage is the vehicle for raising up and maintaining healthy families right Families through which God will communicate the love of Jesus to the world. In 1 Corinthians, Paul actually says that marriage is the, capital T-H-E, it is the illustration of Jesus' love for his church. That's pretty huge. That's pretty huge. But marriage is the means to an end. And with that end being the glory of God and the building of his kingdom. So, again, how would our perspectives on marriage or singleness or children or work or money or sex or whatever, how will it change if viewed in the light of our eternal destinies? Amen. You still riding with me? Did you, did you jump off yet? Amen. How will it change? How will you think about that thing if you realize that it will neither last nor will it really matter when you rise from the dead? I remember Drew and I, we talked about this passage. We were misusing it one day. And we were like, man, what, is, what does it mean to not be married? And he was like, he was like man, how can, but I see Diane, and she not be my wife. What if, they've been married since they were like 12 years old. So he was like, he's like, what? What, what would that? What would that look like? You know? And it, it is, it is crazy to think. It is crazy to think, right? It, it, it's something we can't wrap our minds around. But that's that's the way we have to think about it. Like, this thing has a purpose that far outreaches what I'm able to understand, especially as it pertains to the eternal life. So how do we respond to it? When we think about it that way. Now, one of the things that I've experienced recently, um, I was having coffee with a dear brother. I'm looking at him. Um, My brother Jason loves good coffee and points me towards good coffee. And all of our interaction surrounds, I think, good coffee. Other than when we're playing in in the worship band together. But, He and I had a conversation about something that I've been having conversations with people for a while now. And it's about so many of our friends and our families who are like jumping away, like leaving the faith because of a myriad of different issues surrounding like social justice issues and racial issues and political issues. And and they're leaving the faith, disavowing scriptures, moving on, you know, saying, I don't want anything to do with Christianity or the church. And a lot of them have concluded, some of them have said it explicitly, that they could do more to make the world and their very lives better if they weren't encumbered, if they weren't held back by Christianity or Christianity as the Bible would teach it, as the Bible would have it. As a matter of fact, um, our bishop, um, he recently told us something that was kind of sad. As a person of color, it was sad to hear this. But he was told that he cannot seriously, he cannot be serious about issues of racial justice and other issues of social justice because he did not speak about specifically LGBTQ issues. And so he was told that he cannot ser- be serious about Never mind that our bishop has developed an entire organization called the Center for Justice and Peace with the sole purpose of helping to tackle issues of racial and gender inequalities. Never mind that I can tell you personally that this man has put both his money and his time where his mouth is to help fight for these causes. He's been told that he really doesn't get it because he won't also, with all these efforts, take up for LGBTQ causes too. Well, the answer to those who've asked about their family and friends, And in response to those who said these kinds of things to our bishop, it needs to be said that there are eternal consequences for the stances that we take in the here and now. And it's important as we take stances, as we engage in the world, that we are considerate of eternal consequences to the choices that we make. What does it mean for eternity when it comes to the things that we fight for? And eternal consequences are not just about what the afterlife will be like whether we'll be married or sons and daughters. No, these consequences, brothers and sisters, are about souls. It's about souls. Where will the souls who who are influenced by our stances end up in eternity? Where will that land us? What Jesus says to these Sadducees, brothers and sisters, he is also saying to us, And here's the hard truth. Here's the part of the sermon, the writing, the studying that I don't like, but I can't get around it because it's there. Not everyone will take part in that resurrection to eternal life, brothers and sisters. That's not me. That's the Bible. Some will be left out. Friends, let me put it to you bluntly. And this is not popular to hear, but I'm going to put it to you bluntly. Some people... Are going to hell. Some people are going to hell. When I became a Christian at 13 years old. I wasn't raised in church. You know. Praise be unto God. My family has since come to church. When I came to faith at 13 years old. That was not that controversial of a statement. Now. It might get me kicked about the church. But friends, I stand here as someone who's been called to be faithful to this Bible that God has given us. And I just want to make it absolutely clear to you that some people won't be there. And Jesus said that. And that's sad and that's heartbreaking. But it's true. And I think that many folks are not considering all the choices and stances that they are taking in light of these eternal realities. And if they are, they're not considering them in light of Scriptures. Or they're avoiding those parts of the Scriptures that would cause them to consider them in light of eternity. And listen, this is precisely the issue with the Sadducees. They got all this wrong because they were getting the Scriptures wrong, right? You see, this. this Sadducees, they claimed that they didn't believe in the resurrection because the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, they said that that part of the Bible didn't mention a resurrection. Here's the crazy thing about the Sadducees. The Sadducees also didn't believe in angels, right? First five books of the Bible rife with stories about angels, right? So what was really their problem, right? Because even Jesus points out using his reference to Exodus chapter 3, verse 6, which is the burning bush scene where God reveals himself to Moses, that God reveals himself as who? As, God, as the God of Abraham and Isaac and of Jacob. And Jesus says, so there the, the Torah is telling us of the resurrection since God is presently the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and not of some people who are long sits dead and gone. Jesus says that all are alive to God. Friends, you see, the Sadducees overemphasized marriage and under-realized eternity because they chose to be selective about the scriptures. That's what led them to that place. They pick and chose what they wanted to accept from the scriptures so that they could arrive at their desired conclusions. As a dear brother often says in our Bible studies on Wednesdays, They sought affirmation over information. I told you I was going to use it, bro. They sought affirmation over information. And before we get too far down the road with this particular thing, I want us to understand that this is also the reason why folks are leaving the faith or leaving the church in order to to embrace Um, other issues right and why they're conflating issues of justice and all these things together to put it straightforward brothers and sisters the bible says that some things are good and some things are not the bible says that some things are good and some things are not and the only way to get around the things that the bible says are not is to get around the bible But getting around the Bible, brothers and sisters, means getting around Jesus. And to get around Jesus, brothers and sisters, means to get around eternal life. The Bible is clear, friends. There is no other name under heaven by which men and women can be saved. That name being the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you can search every history book. You can search every book of philosophy. You can search anything you want. The only place you are going to find the story of salvation under the name of the Lord Jesus Christ is in the Bible. And if you get around that, you're going to miss Jesus. And if you miss Jesus, you're going to miss eternity. But here's the good news, friends. The scripture offers us a proper perspective on how we should view life now and the life to come. The scripture reorders our mind. Romans chapter 12, verse 2 says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. In other words, friends, the Bible is the means of mind renewal, of a reordering of our minds from what is opposite to God's desires to what is pleasing to God. And without the Bible, all of us, every single one of us, would just live our lives giving into, succumbing to whatever is most. Attractive, Alluring or pressing in the present in the present moment. All of us would do that. Brothers and sisters, we must maintain an eternal perspective with respect to everything in our lives, including our circumstances and our possessions. And the only way to do this is to stand under the scripture as the very word of God and not just to be able to understand it in light of current events. Now I'm gonna tell you what I mean by that. A lot of us assume that the best way to get God is to somehow find the coolest, newest, trendiest, most most uh, highly regarded scholarship or or writers or or theologians out there, right? Right. Whatever, man. Oh, did you did you hear about? book he read? I love when I get the answer, no. No. We assume that if we can get all of that, if we can understand all of that, then we would get God better. But here's the thing, it's not about being able to understand all of those things. It's about being able to stand under the word of God. It's not about being. Another thing my brother said. It's not about mastering the Bible. It's about being mastered by the Bible. Is that making sense? Are you guys with me this morning? One of the great, one of the coolest things I've ever. Um, I'm working on a doctor of ministry. I love education. I love all that. That's fantastic. My favorite Christians to be around. My favorite Christians to be around are those people, typically older people, who ain't got none of that stuff. And when I'm with them, I can tell that they've been with Jesus. They ain't got none of that stuff, but what they know is their Bibles. Friends, it's one thing to understand. It's another thing to stand under. My question to you is, have you been seeking to just understand or have you been trying to stand under the word of God? Some of y'all are like, well, I'm not sure. I don't know difference because you like me. You've been trying to read all the books. Get in, that, get in that scripture. Get in the Bible. Get in the Bible. We need to approach the Bible as the word of God that shapes us instead of a book that is shaped by our mastery of it and we need to stand under all of it and not just some of it. Not just the parts we like and the parts we, and and discard the rest. Because that was the mistake of the Sadducees. Friends, um, Rachel, you're out of practice. You're You're supposed to know when I'm winding down. What's going on? Yeah. right Yeah. 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 But as we draw um, to a close, I say this. I said this in the sermon. I'll say it again. What is at stake when we forfeit the scriptures? OK, is that we forfeit Jesus. And when we forfeit Jesus, we forfeit our only means of eternal life. Every Sunday here at Redeemer Community Church, we are we are privileged, we are blessed, we are we are honored that we get to take of communion. And what communion is? Taking it, every, we take it every Sunday because every Sunday we want to declare what communion declares, and that's the gospel. That's the point of all that. That's the point of taking out a Lacroix can and trying to make you laugh. The point of all of that is so that we would understand this: that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has come. That he has lived the life that we should have lived, but did not and could not. That he died the death that we should have died for our sins. And that he is resurrected to newness of life. And that he invites each and every single one of us to take part in that resurrected, that new eternal life. If only we would trust that he has done this for us. That's what we get to take part in every time we take that gluten-free cracker and dip it in that grape juice. That's what we're proclaiming. If you're here this morning and you say, hey, Pastor Matt, that's my first time ever hearing it. I've heard that since I was a kid. But this day, you have chosen to believe that for yourself. I want you to know that you are invited. You are encouraged. We are, we are ecstatic that you are here. and You are invited and encouraged to take communion with us that, this morning. Now, if you're here and you say, hey, Pastor Matt, I'm not sure I'm there yet. I want to let you know again, so grateful that you are here with us. If you would like, please talk to me or Pastor Drew or Rachel, um, Brother Barry. Talk to any one of us about what it means to know Jesus. We'd love to talk to you about that. We'd love to walk with you through that. If you're interested in understanding, you've heard a lot of things about Scripture. Hey, I want to know a little bit more about this Bible thing, how to read it. Talk to us about that. Come on Wednesday night. Okay, let's talk about this together. My prayer, friends, is that all that we do, all that we are, all of life, that we will maintain an eternal perspective. Amen. Let's pray together, friends. Dear Lord, I thank you so much again my brothers and sisters here this morning. I thank you for your word. And Lord God, I am praying that if nothing else and above all else, that every person here as father would leave this day knowing that they are a child of the resurrection or with you doing the work to bring them about to be a child of your resurrection. Be with us as we take of communion and we just give you the glory and the honor and the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 The Savior, the Pastor Mack.